0: Bam ba bam ba bam bam ba bam 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 So full of nothing yet have got nothing to say Bam ba bam ba bam ba bam Bam ba bam
1: Starsha Lee. Starsha Lee is a person. And Starsha Lee is also a band. Our guest is a singer from this musical outfit and also an artist who was recently an inadvertent victim of censorship from one of the world's largest social networking sites. Would simply not like. But for a band who describe themselves as an inconvenient sound for... Inconvenient people, this type of reaction is unsurprising. To the uninitiated, Starsha Lee, the vocalist, possesses a unique register that cuts through the distinctive, driving, and decidedly dirty guitars of Crispin Gray from Daisy Chainsaw, Queen Adrena, and Dogbones fame. Starsha Lee and myself chat about art, music, Marmite, philosophy, and nipples. But first, what is Star favourite word? I want to know.
2: My name is Star and my favourite word is a Portuguese one, nefilibata. It means one that is always on the clouds. It was normally applied to artists that escape from um, the norms of created. Um, for example, writers who didn't write um, with the norms of writing. It doesn't have an avant garde connotation, but it's someone who is always absent from reality. Actually, I learned this uh, word in, in Greek. Lessons, it means nephelibatos. And I always kept it in mind for years and years. I really like this word.
1: So, in addition to speaking Portuguese, you also speak Greek?
2: Oh, you cannot speak Asian Greek because it's a dead language, but I have to learn a little bit. Uh, but it was only a little bit right. in college, yes.
1: So, how many languages can you speak then in oh, terms no, no, no. Um,
2: of? Well, only English and Portuguese, yes. But English, barely.
1: I disagree.
2: Oh, thank you. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> thank so you. you're
1: originally from Portugal. Yes. How long have you lived in London for?
2: Um, one year and a couple of months or so.
1: And what prompted your move? Portugal, the weather is great. In England, it's horrible. In Portugal, <laughs> the people are warm and lovely. Here, we're a bit challenging. Uh,
2: well, uh, what moved me was I was looking for a PhD in um, philosophy of art. Um, but then I started to do a band and all got a little loose. Uh, But yeah, that's what made me move mainly, yes.
1: And are you doing a PhD Not yet, yet,
2: not yet. Actually, I changed my mind. I think I will do a master in medieval studies because uh, you you have a lot of gothic um, all over uh, and i always been interested in medieval architecture so it's a old passion I have so I probably will return to that. Um, art history is my first graduation so I have interest in that.
1: Art history, lead singer of Starsha Lee. <laughs> How did you come to find Crispin and the Gang? How did the band form?
2: Well uh, we started to Talk uh, because of my photographs. I do photography, and I normally used to post it on Facebook. And we started to talk about um, how we uh, construct image because he also draws and I I draw as well. And we started to talk about it: how you build an image, how you understand image, and we started a friendship and. Then I met him, and then we started the band. It was like that.
1: When you were in Portugal, had you been in bands over there?
2: Yes, yes. I play bass guitar for a few years, but nothing that relevant. It was in the late 90s, so, yes.
1: So a little bit of a gap between performances?
2: Uh, yes, yes. Well, this is the first time that I'm really fronting a band, um, um it was a, a challenging it, How do I explain? It was something that I knew that I wanted to know if I could do it, because it, um, I had um, uh, lyrical, classical um, lessons, and, and I would like to, to see if I could perform, not in classical, of course, but um, in some other gender, so we try this. And and I still have the classes. Actually, I return to opera classes. I'm I'm not I'm not uh, very good at it. I'm still learning, but it's something something about the voice and the body language that always uh, seduced me in in stage at communicating.
1: Whereabouts in Portugal are you from originally?
2: Um, I born in Lisbon, but I never. Uh, I wasn't there all my life, no. Your
1: family moved away? Yes,
2: moved a lot.
1: And um, when you were playing bass in bands in the late 1990s, what sort of stuff were you listening? To? What inspired you to pick up the bass?
2: Well, um, at the time, we're talking about 98, it was the Riot gong scene. But then I dropped it um, very quickly. Then some also-called alternative, uh, you know, more post-grunge but nothing seriously only garage bands but uh, nothing serious this is the first time that I'm that I think I'm really performing
1: you've made quite a leap from being a, a bass player in a band back in the 90s to being not just fronting a band but seeing live footage of what you do yes it's truly performance art on stage you know you're by no means a, a demure uh-huh. person in the clouds on stage it's very very in your face that's something which certainly must have been within you all this time yes. it just got unearthed and unleashed in yes That's,
2: that's true. Um, I used to say when I met Crispin I used to say to him that I was I all, would only do photography because I was a frustrated performer because I couldn't perform so uh, because all my my photography are self shots I made the scenarios I do the self shots all my photography has 10 seconds duration and I have to do all of it in 10 seconds so uh, but it was already a need for body expression to say something with
1: the body What formats do you use within your f- photography
2: It's it's digital Digital uh, Digital yes Right
1: Getting to the formation of the band, you met Crispin through your respective art. Mm-hmm. How long between your first meeting with Crispin and going into the studio to try things out?
2: Um, it was more or less half a year, maybe. When I met him, I didn't have this on mind because I was kind of, well, because I, I, I know I was aware of Crispin's band, so I was um, feeling kind of embarrassed of asking him to do something, so I just approached the subject, asking him to just do some melodies for me to sing over it, and uh, and that's it. But then, because um, he he understood quickly that I wanted to put photography, video, and the voice all together, he understood that. Okay, we might have something here to continue. And that's how Stashingly. Lee was my nickname during my um high school years, so Lee already exists for many. How times. did you
1: come about that nickname?
2: Come about it was previous to that uh, I was maybe 12 um, me and my best friend used to draw a lot and uh, write about the personage that we draw and she came out with a red hair one called Stasha and I loved the name so much and then she gave me the nickname and, and actually in during my high school everybody knows me still till this day by Stasha not Sophia.
1: Prior to meeting Crispin, were you aware of Daisy Chainsaw, Queen Adrena, Dog Bones?
2: Yes, I was aware through a friend of mine. He's a DJ, so he's a very avant-garde, so to speak, DJ. And he knew already uh, Queen Adrena since, I don't know, maybe 2002, three. I was aware previous to that of Daisy Chainsaw because of him. Uh, so I was vaguely aware of Christmas work, but what made me start to talk to him was the drawing, was the image how we um, communicate through image, not about music. I, I was not really awake for that yet.
1: You use the word yet, so yes. that implies that you have very much woken up to the idea. Yes. Of being a creative force within the band and yes. the front person. And
2: yes, yes, yes. It was asleep.
1: At what stage did you make the bold move to use your name for the the band's identity because obviously with in Crispin's background you know the, the there were band names. Had you known that from the start or had you considered band names?
2: Uh, n- no, it was Crispin who brought it up. Right. It was Crispin who said that uh, he would like to call it Stashley because of my photography work. Because it's almost all about this persona. It's all about her. It's all about Stashley. Um, so he thought it was... Um, um, he, he, It makes meaning to to be like that.
1: It's interesting that you refer to Starshely as her. Obviously, as performers, we can't be that person all the time, or else probably we would drive everyone around us bonkers. Yes. How different is the Starshely in front of me now to the one on stage?
2: That's a big question, even in art criticism, about uh, the distinction of art and life. Of course, we out of stage, we can remain artists. I mean, I see Crispin and he's Crispin Gray from Queen Adrina, of course. But daily life, um, because we have different activities to do, it kind of shades a little bit the, the persona. It puts the persona a little bit asleep. And then she comes out and goes away again, she comes again, she goes away again. It's always um, a movement between awakening and asleep. It's never constant. Of course not. It cannot be. Or else, like you say, we could be bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, not it's a little extreme way to say, but it's I I understand what you're saying and I agree. Yes. So, especially, um, it's mainly... Uh, are the parts of me that I need to communicate and that communication it doesn't suit in a mundane life i cannot express what i need to say uh, as stashley, um, to my boyfriend to my parents it's not the same level it has to have a stage it has to have a body it has to have lyrics it has to have image that's the only way i can transmit what stashley is because she wants to talk and so i need to make a Say things.
1: To what extent is the stage Starsha Lee the real you?
2: It is because um, I could say that this band is almost like being me, being my own psychologist, because I'm putting outside, in in a performance sense, what is deep in me that I didn't resolve yet everybody has things to resolve. Everybody. That's why sometimes we go to a psychologist. sometimes we go and have a drink, sometimes we go and get wild. And that's part of it. My way is to go to the stage and say, I have this to say, and I need you to listen.
1: You've been booked to perform at the Wicked Alice Tea Party. Yes. Which bands are you looking forward to seeing? Are you familiar with the bill yet? Because you're quite a recent addition to the yeah, lineup.
2: Yes. I uh, saw Unstoppable Achievers, which I like it very much. Who
1: were our guests on the last Dukey radio show. <laughs> yes. Hi, guys.
2: <laughs> I really like them. I like the Dead Cards. Um, but the rest, I, I'm not familiarized. I just arrived to London scene, so I don't know too much about it.
1: Recently, you were banned from Facebook for nudity.
2: Yes, it was actually uh, this morning, uh, it was official that uh, Stashley uh, fan page, uh, so they call it, uh, was banned. Yes.
1: How do you feel about this? It seems to be from another era, the idea that for fairly Tame skin reveals. You got the axe. Did anybody really make a complaint? After all, if it's a fan page, the fans who love what you do will understand the imagery and yes. the very provocative nature of your yes. performance.
2: Yes, yes. And and I would like to say uh, that has nothing to do with sexuality. Actually, it has to do with the opposite. I show. Parts of me, because it is a sexual that I am trying to say that I'm trying to manifest it's not a sexual they are completely wrong about that um, but about the nippon thing um well, I was very perplexed i, I I'm still very perplexed because it was a few hours ago they blocked my my page um because i, I let's put it this way um if it is a male nippon, it means no offense but if it is a female it means some offense so therefore um it means that the female body is connected with sexuality, which again, they are completely wrong about me on that sense. So, um,. This is too much a priest point of view, because, you know, normally a priest put the font on the woman because the woman is interrupting his spirituality. But I'm not interrupting nobody's and I don't, um, you know, others people, um, horny is with them. I don't engage with that. I don't provoke that. It's not my intention. So it is. Facebook's interpretation and in the worst of all, Facebook cannot distinguish context which made them or them, so to speak, a very primitive medieval mindset. Because even in modern law, what makes someone goes to trial and goes to jail, it's because the person had the intention to kill. Sometimes one fact mean different things. I can kill somebody because I'm mental and I'm completely insane. Mm. So I probably will be absorbed. So I will probably not going to be in jail because of that, or at least too much time if I wasn't um, uh, insane. So it's all about the intention. Every fact is a context like nietzsche said there, there, there are no no, no facts there, there are no moral facts there are interpretation of the facts so you have to interpret what is my nipples showing mm. and it's a performance it's not a sexual it's not pornographic it's not offensive whatsoever so if i offend someone by showing the nipples, that means that we still have a mentality very primitive that cannot distinguish artistic context of pornographic context. And this is a real shame. Do flyers of it and spread the hometown. It's absolutely a shame. But anyway... I'm not acting like I need Facebook anyway, and I hope they don't think I need them anyway. So uh, we are not going to have a new website uh, and we can post the photos freely.
1: I saw the site and there was nothing there that was designed to provoke deliberate sexuality and and reactions. It it all seemed to dovetail with the material and with the performance. Yes. Performances that you've done and, and everything else. And it really surprises me that somebody would go out of their way to make a complaint and suggest that your page should be banned. Yes. I mean, ultimately... I can understand if somebody is ridiculously conservative that they might be shocked a bit. And if they want to flag up a photo or two, by all means, within the context of how Facebook operates, I can understand that Facebook might reach out to you and state that, you know, could you remove these photos? Yes. Or perhaps they could be put in a, a private... Gallery, so that only people who follow the band can see it. But to outright ban the presence of of Starsha Lee from their servers is a great shame. Yes. And more annoyingly so, when we were arranging this interview, you had contacted me through Facebook via your account. And when your account was banned, all of the messages that you sent were also deleted. (laughs)
3: which is a bit weird because
1: you gave me details about the band's history and all of that vanished along with your photos. So it's a bit like they wanted to erase your entire history.
2: Yeah, but uh, by deleting my entire history, because, um, uh, you know, unfortunately nowadays people are more virtual than... Real, if I make myself understood. So, they 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 attach too much uh, profound on Facebook to their. Personality mm. today to everything because they they show everything on Facebook and and that I think it's kind of mental in a way and to be honest this Facebook uh, deleting my page uh, situation it doesn't worry me that much because uh, we are a live act. Mm. act we are a live act we we are not a page on facebook i don't care if facebook really did it i really i i got perplexed as a woman as a woman but okay if they have the standards i have to respect because i did a page on their site so i have to respect that but um, uh, what i didn't understand it was um i post my photographs for maybe 4 years already and some have nipples showing because of the needs of some expression, and they never block my my fault it, it, it was only in station something about the band they uh, which i don 't understand either come on what is the news after we have um a sex pistols, after we have a skinny puppy, after we have a Marilyn Manson on mainstream, after we have so the Stooges what is the novelty here? I, I'm not giving any news to anybody, you know. He, uh, actually, I, I I think I'm very average comparison to to what happened in the avant-garde. So, I don't know. It seems like uh, Facebook has um, really um, it has um, almost like a retarding mindset, mm. you know.
1: But all well in 1984, you know, brought up the context that brought up the notion of Big Brother. And in the end, we've become Big Brother in the way that through Facebook, everything that we do, we as Facebook users do, get scrutinised in the day to day movements, we have become Big Brother. Yes. And that's not to say that there are other agencies and government concerns that also do that. But in reality, most of the human race in the Western world have embraced Facebook, and I think with that and in becoming Big Brother, I think uh, an increased conservative outlook has happened. It seems as though things are are not tolerated as much.
2: Yes, but I—I um, I mean, I—we
1: shouldn't I, be having this conversation, and but it, it's a sad well, reality. This really has happened not, to you.
2: Yes, but uh, I mean. Again, I think we have to distinguish context. I mean, I'm not, I'm not promoting part of my nudity as Sophia in my personal page to uh, on the beach or in my home just having a selfie without a bra. It's not that I'm performing Mm. It's so, uh, it's a different context. It, 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 that's what I uh, said about the, the modern law. It, it's the intention that counts. Uh, you know, it, you can uh, make a, di- a difference between, for example, different handshakes. You know, when somebody sometimes handshakes you and the person was not very nice, that handshake was a little different. Mm. And the other one is too friendly, but you can say, oh, it's only a handshake. No, it has a different vibration, the two.
1: Absolutely. You can pick up so much from people in a first impression and very simple activities like handshakes are very, very revealing.
2: Yes, so it's not the facts, it's the context. Mm. We are context. It's not like that. So, or, because this will lead us to a tyrannic mindset and it's a constra- castration in the arts.
1: Mm. Okay. Nipples—they're the new atomic bomb.
2: Uh, yes, yes, they are. It's, yes, they are. I feel—I feel like uh, I'm such a—I'm I'm kind of a sex offender. It's ridiculous when I have songs um, like on Girl" and some others that I'm not going to say now because we are working on them that talk about asexuality. Mm. It's ridiculous. So it's—they uh, didn't have a reason to do that. I
1: mean, Earlier, you referenced Nietzsche, the the German philosopher. Yes. And the first song that we're going to be playing from Starship is "Uncle Nietzsche."
3: Uncle
0: Nietzsche said.
1: Little bit about the gestation of that song and how it's, it came about
2: that song it's a result of my philosophy graduation it's a result of reading Nietzsche and I have this I have this tendency of making authors as my family because they they, they teach us like family mm. and like a father like an uncle and the the lyrics are a result of what I think Nietzsche transmitted to me, but in a very in your face uh, a kind of simple way to say it of course because it's not a good idea to dwell on philosophy too much in lyrics uh, at least for Stashley, because I have to make myself understood and I know that and to make myself understood is a statistic thing it's for everybody or try to be for the most people mm. I can so it it is a way, it's a result of um, years of reading Nietzsche, yes.
1: In a parallel universe, it could have been Uncle Hegel. Or... Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, with Hegel, is that kind of uncle, he's not...
1: Now, he... That's the cousin you might not want to hang around yes, with too much. Yes, yes,
2: he, he, he's not that... He doesn't teach me how to face people and, and point the finger at hypocrisy. You know, Hegel is
1: more
2: conservative. (laughs) Mm, Absolutely. I think Hegel
1: might have been offended by your nipples.
2: (laughs) I'm sure he will.
1: (laughs) A track like that, you've got rapid fire guitars and the four on the floor groove. It's a song with intent. Yes. Did you tell Crispin and the rest of the gang about the subject matter before it was written or did it all come together? Were they thinking about Nietzsche when the guitars were being written?
2: Uh, Yes, I I do the vocal lines and write the lyrics and I normally say to Crispin, look, this is um, a pointing finger, Uh, put the finger on the wound song and he knows what I'm trying to say. Uh, Or I say, this is an abyss one. And he knows
1: what I want to, right. to transmit. That is a track which is just an absolute bulldozer. It, it was not the first song that I heard from you, but it's the first one that I immediately played twice. There was something about it that was really, really captivating. Lord knows, if you believe in the Lord, sometimes I'm not so <laughs> sure myself, but that's a whole other discussion.
2: Oh, me I, I wish I had that track
1: in <laughs> when I was doing my philosophy lessons many moons ago.
2: <laughs>
1: Love is superficial. This is a very live sounding recording. Did you do that in the studio? Everything sounds very much as though you were on stage, two microphones captured it all. Or is that just one of those rare moments where the energy of the band was genuinely captured onto tape or hard disk?
2: Well, that song, um, it's a very, um, it's an abyss one. It's different from the Uncle Nietzsche one. about how love doesn't have so much meaning when it came to put into a contrast with mortality. Um, It gained meaning after my grandfather's death, mainly, and it is a song that says, it makes a contrast between life and death. And, and life mainly it's love. All we want is to feel that. It's, it's, it's to feel um, that we are kind of on high all the time. And, and, but that is temporal. That is not eternal, you know. That that's why the the first line is saying, "I thought I thought I was a crossing eternity, but it turns out it's only mortality. That's what it's about."
1: The video is uncomfortable viewing. I mean that as a compliment. When I first saw it, with the the way the camera moves, it's almost feels as though you could suffer from seasickness at any time and the use of religious imagery and your own performance are quite a captivating combination and I like the way that you play about with the the shrine to Jesus and opening and closing the doors and doing similar things with with your legs. For me I picked up on Theological doubt and a, a frustration with mortality—would those be accurate themes?
2: Yes, it's a complete doubt. Yes, uh, that shrine is my great grandmother's shrine. So, all the videos is made by um, symbolic objects. That is a family shrine that that I've known since I know since since ever. Uh, the house is my death grandmother's house. Uh, so everything around is pulsing nerve-wracking and wanting to escape from mortality but i cannot but then love is the cure because normally love bring us a sentiment of eternity when we love somebody or when yes that that is a good example we we feel that is going, we are going to live forever. It's like a long highway that appears to your eyes and you're going to live eternally. That's the sentiment. But what the conclusion right there, no, it's superficial. It, doesn't, it, it really doesn't reach the deep of the question here.
1: At the time of the video being filmed, how soon before it had your... Family member passed away.
2: It was um, in the same month, kind of.
1: Really, so that bereavement was very fresh in your mind.
2: Yeah, that's that. That is a a exposed wound.
1: You do appear very vulnerable and upset in equal measure in the video.
2: Yes, and and. and, for example also the dress it's um, it's a 14 um, a year old dress um, those ceremonial dresses that um, kids use to the first communion of Christianity and Catholic um, events so I bought that dress on purpose actually I wear uh, that kind of dresses um, a lot on stage because uh, Stasha, he, he, she's a She's an interrupted child,
1: right? As many Catholics are.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah. As
1: as the product of Catholic education, myself, I can only but uh, empathise. There are other religions. There are other kinds yeah. of guilt. Yeah. Did you realise that video yourself? Did you set the camera up on a tripod or did your family members helping you?
2: No, 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 no. I do all of everything on myself.
1: My goodness. So you were dealing with bereavement. Yes. Emotional topics left, right and centre. And then putting this yes, putting this very emotional video together on your own.
2: Yes. It, it, it was my first one because um, I needed to express it. Uh, Yes, yes, I did it everything on my own, just like my home photography. I just put a tripod, put the ten seconds for photography, and I just sometimes I get all wound up because I just fall, and it's not easy to do everything on your own. Um, but the video, it was all made by me, and and that, made little shaking. That seems even more amateur. It's it's on purpose because it's nerve wracking. It's wanting again, it's wanting to escape temporality, it's wanting to escape the minutes that my body still have of life. Mm. It's wanting why I cannot go through eternity. And you are offering me love as something that I should be thankful for? Well, It ends at every morning, so I don't understand. So it's complete superficial to me.
1: Being in a family house as you were, and one that had experienced bereavement, how did your parents and extended family members uh, react to you at a time when that loss was so fresh that you were filming there? Were they supportive of it? Were they in shock?
2: My dad uh, was a musician and he understood everything. Uh, But not so much the rest of them because, um, you know, I did the other way around. I went to college, I graduated two times, I did a post-graduation and all that. I was a museum researcher and then I have a band normally you do the other way around. You start at 18 having a band and then you settle down and go to college. So they are not very receptive of that, except my dad and his sister, who's always uh, a musician, she's an an, uh, accordionist. So we have... um, not only musicians but stage actors background so there i can have some understanding but not in the other side no they they actually i think they didn't like it (laughs) (laughs)
1: right fair enough keeping on with the theological theme with your material the next track that we will be featuring is holy hatred This is a heavy, heavy tune and in a way a a companion piece, musically anyway, to the themes which featured in the video for Love is Superficial. Can you tell me a bit about the background to Holy Hatred?
2: Well, the Holy Hatred is, um, is an escape when everything goes wrong and, you know, not that I, not that I uh, believe that is the way on the time, but sometimes, when you have so many unfair situations coming at you, and you feel that your humanity—not that you are deciding to be like that—but your humanity reacts with hate. You know, you start to hate everybody that is doing unfair situations towards you and you have to put that almost in the divine context mm. you know because i will get over this so the holy hatred it's kind of it's a surpassing a situation make it holy make it like you are a god and surpass it. Never never go too low and feel self-pity. Never, never do that. So the Hongi Hatred talks about that.
1: When you put down the vocals for that track, how emotionally charged do you get? The theme for this song is rooted into, into some very intense emotions, as are the others, but after all, there's hatred in the title and holy. These are two things which are you know, going to provoke all kinds of emotions in yourself. Was it a, a, an easy song to record?
2: No, they are never easy. They are never easy because um, I really have, I have to be in um, a middle state, almost like that middle state that we are between um, being awake and sleeping. It has to be almost like psychanalytic because the voice is really linked to the spirit you can be you can have a lot of technique but if your spirit is not with an open mouth and singing you are not convincing so um, that's why i like stage it's because something magical happen it's like your own body just leaves the concrete and the temporality and kind of almost wants to reach the eternal and and this is not this is not real it's just an emotion Mm. but that's the way it is so every time that i that i uh, record the songs i it has to be specific days then i okay now i can say this today i can say this and here we go and we just do it
1: so you are very mindful of being in the right headspace yes it
2: has to be because stachny it's song about it's song about a body without a, almost without a face and therefore it's song about the voice it's on, a, and therefore it's on about the words. Mm. And I, I, I have to be in that um, pecunia state and say what I want, what I need—not what I want, what I need to say—in that peculiar state. So yes, I choose days to record, and because it's a high pitch um band and uh it's not every one cup of tea thank Nor should god it be. <laughs> thank god for that uh even my uh, i remember my first um uh, s- um singing class teacher she said "I, you wow you have a voice like needles i never forget that and sure enough i know that i have but um well um i'm trying to make use of it and I, you know, most of all, I, I believe in expression. You know, everything is expression because I can say you um hi, how are you doing? Or, oh, hi, how are you doing? It's the same, but it's not the same. Mm. So expression is, to me, it's almost everything in art.
1: Also, it's your unique sonic signature and when you're in a... Position to be able to vocally realize your own words and vision um, and lyrics, it's a, a beautiful thing. And if you're embracing intense emotions, by all means, the vocals should sound like needles. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's all about context and intent. It's all well and good if you have a, a heavy song to do typical cock-rock-style vocals, or (laughs) ovary rock. Um, But, you know, the the vocals cut through. And, you know, you've got Crispin's guitars, which take up a a lot of room, a lot of sonic room. Yes. He likes a very big guitar sound.
2: Yes, I like it as well. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And, you know, bombastic drums, almost tribal in places, and bass guitars, which are laden with overdrive to fill in the gap. Because right. you ultimately have one guitarist, so it's, it's a, you know, you've got a big power trio yes. behind you. Yes. So you need to have a voice like needles to cut through, or else you would be lost. And the vocals most definitely are not. They cut through.
2: Yes, I, I know that already I'm um, addressed as a, a marmite voice so you love or uh, you like right? oh i love oh, you've been in
1: england long enough to know about <laughs> yes. the glories of marmite
2: oh crispin loves it so that's <laughs> why I, like, I i i know about marmite but i know that people uh, say that i'm a marmite voice well uh, i try to to do my best to express exactly what i want to say and of course um because I'm I'm learning uh, again a little bit of uh, classical, it makes even feel my more, more comfortable with myself, and the, it makes me feel more comfortable. Because I was not wound about my voice either. I remember the first time that I went to to singing classes uh, many years ago, I barely could say a word, uh, because I knew that I I. I have a little high-pitched, irritating voice. I understand, but um, you know, when you it's all you got, it's all you got, it's tautologic. it's all you got, it's all you got. So you've
1: got it, use it. Yes, nobody else will sound like you.
2: <laughs> and I think that's
1: so many people, so many singers, so many bands mold themselves around their influences, and to be in a position where. You are Marmite. I think it's a good thing to sign that you're doing it right.
2: Well, I, I
1: the alternative I, is dullness.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, I I must confess, I, I I don't know what are my influences. I mean, I I love Kate Bush, for example. I I really admire T. Amanda Gealas, for example. Um, but I, I cannot sing like them, so. I don't know. I don't think I really have clearly reference. I'm I'm starting out completely um, out of the blue. Uh, I'm completely like um, a desert. N- it's what it is. Uh, of course, it, we always have influences because it's like the eye even if we don 't think about it, sometimes I see in my photography oh i 'm influenced by t- that image that I saw or that painting that I saw, but i didn't knew but but because I make the effort to be aware everything we, we always have an underground of inside of us going Mm. on so we always are influenced by somebody but i i cannot point anybody um consciously because i don't have really i'm i'm doing this a few months only so no i i really don't have any influences no
1: you've been doing it a few months it sounds absolutely brilliant Who cares about influences? I think having a a blank canvas approach is really, really refreshing. You mentioned earlier about studying the classical. In which context?
2: Um, It was... i was like maybe 24 at the time it was a long time ago um i was having this street punk band when i play bass and do some backing vocals but because i um damaged a little bit the voice and because i like maria Callas a lot and uh and and my dad listened to a lot of classical so he, it makes me go to seek uh, classical lessons. It's not easy at all. It's I cannot say that I can sing already classical because not yet. But I'm learning. Yes, I'm learning. It's it's very difficult to learn. It's all, it's almost like it's it's almost like a mechanics of a car. Breathing strength of the diaphragma. It's it's but when you get the voice head there something spiritual happen Mm. something spiritual happen and i really love those moments so yes
1: i also feel that you probably picked up on the skill to be able to to save your voice and to use your diaphragm so that when you're doing what you do vocally over piercing guitars and tribal drums and very grunty bass that you can cut through without losing your voice. And that's uh, quite a skill.
2: Yes, I have to, but I'm learning uh, again how to do that, yes.
1: Postmodern is the last track that we'll be featuring from Starsha Lee. And this particular track is... A stomping, dirty groove and features the line so full of nothing that I've got nothing to say. Is this a statement on a disposable culture that celebrates nothing?
2: Yes. mainly after I read some essays of Gilles Lipovetsky. Um,
1: Lipovetsky.
2: Lipovetsky. And uh, it is a one-line death row sentence lyrics because after uh, modern art, especially after Duchamp, and then after of course the consequential and the art people I think artists forgive me to say this but this is what I think uh they enter into a spiral of not sclerosis of the sensitivity because sensitivity cannot be a concept that's Anti-art and it should be seen as a thinking experiment, as a trying to approach what art is via what art is not,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but not completely embracing the whole humanity right now. Doing conceptual art to me, it's a complete paradox to kant is a paradox as well and that's what i to to clive bell is a paradox that's what i believe and postmodern it's so full of nothing because it's it's so aseptic it's so almost like bleach they bleach everything i still remember in my teens when i look at a matisse canvas and that red makes me feel so good that I remember I, I thought in the beginning, oh, I want to, to fall asleep in a matisse canvas inside of it. I don't feel that in conceptual art. And Duchamp was a great chess player to create the Fontaine, It was a good creation. I understand his point. But then we enter in the spiral of... Emptiness.
1: Do you feel that the likes of Duchamp, with regards to the fountain, that that's, to a certain extent, you can't better that? That's been the model, let's face it. That The fountain was produced in the 1920s. That must have been an incredibly shocking work. In a way, he opened the door for a lot of bad things.
2: Yes, he opened the door, but it was an experiment of... He, you know, um, he tried and he did brilliantly because he was a very intelligent man. And he did it brilliantly. He he, he went the antagonist. He went the opposite of Kant, of every aesthetical before them. Because when he shows the Fontaine, he actually had a clock. When he set, uh, like, for example, 4 p.m., and he just look at some ordinary um, object, and there you go, I choose that one. What this means, he chose it, he didn't feel it. It was an experiment to what art is not. He was against the bourgeois mentality. That's what it is, And, and I think people took Duchamp too far. and and all the conceptual artists with all the respect, but I don't think they have the artistic criteria because if you want to work with concepts, you know, just write a master degree. Write it. To me, it's the same faculty operating reason.
1: You are not wrong and...
2: Go to college, be an artist. (laughs)
1: Go to college, um, do your masters, get a doctorate, and then front a really brilliant band. Oh, yes. That's the order people need to do things in. <laughs> Duchamp would appreciate that.
2: But the show was brilliant, but 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 people like 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 a lot of Nietzsche followers, I think that they clearly missed the point. You know, when well, I'm not going to enter into that now. But anyway, um, yes, I I. I think that the conceptual is a sclerosis of the sensitivity because sensitivity it's like can't say it's a peculiar concept it's not like a concept of uh, we have of red no no it's not because when we have when we are sensitive towards a red dot or a red canvas like hotko for example We are emotional towards it. We we want to look at it. I, for example, I remember I wanted to sleep inside of Matisse's canvas, so that is right there an axis, a different axis. I don't agree with having the logical and the reason faculty to access art. Something didn't went well.
1: Star Shelley, thanks very much oh, for so gracing much. us with your presence here on thank the DQ Radio thank Show. Thank
2: you
1: so much. A lot of conversational ground. To find out more about Star Shelley, no thanks to the nasty mudlarkers at Facebook. Click your way to Http colon double forward slash. StarshaLee.Wix.com forward slash Starsha hyphen Lee. And that's Starsha spelled S for sugar, T A R S H A. You've been listening to our interview with Starsha Lee. My name is Dukey and I've been your host. Until next time, may the worst of tomorrow be the best of yesterday. Now it's time for me to go and, up, uh, <coughs> pop my weasel. Thanks for listening. Half a pound of tuppenny rice, half a pound of treacle. That's the way the money goes. Pop goes the weasel. Facebook. Click on your mouse to our Facebook page. Easy to find, it will not take an age. Facebook .facebook www.facebook.com forward slash The Dukey Radio Show, The Dukey Radio Show The thin white Dukey is right. Click your way to the Dukey Radio Show Facebook page www.facebook.com forward slash the dookie radio show the dookie radio show the dookie radio show
0: we love your money we love your money we love your money we love 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 all your money bam to